Hello, and thank you for downloading episode 10 of the SAP UK podcast. In today's episode, we're extremely lucky to be joined by ITV's political editor, Robert Peston, as we discuss some of the key challenges and opportunities faced by businesses this year. Thanks for joining the show. Now, today's guest really needs no introduction. He's ITV's political editor and host of their flagship politics and current affairs show, Peston. He covers the latest happenings in Westminster and beyond, interviewing the important players on the national and international political scenes. And I'm sure many of you have seen him quizzing the UK government in the daily news briefings. So I'm delighted to be joined by Robert Peston. Robert, thank you so much for taking the time to join us for our podcast today. It's absolutely brilliant to have you with us. Listen, I'm thrilled to be with you uh, and um, just looking forward to having uh, a full and frank chat. Now, we've got a lot to cover on the show, but to kick off, it'd be great to get some insights from yourself about what are you seeing in the UK market right now? Like, What are the biggest challenges facing businesses in the UK and Ireland? Uh, To state the obvious, uh, we will be living both with COVID-19 and then the consequences, well, actually, uh, you know, I, I tend to agree with the Chief Medical uh, Officer, Chris Whitty, we're going to be living with it forever. I mean, this is a, an illness that, at best, will respond to vaccinations, but we are more than likely, as this illness mutates, um, going to be vaccinated every year, every couple of years in the way that we're vaccinated for flu. I mean, the positive case would be that by the end of this year, uh, most people in the UK and significant numbers of people worldwide will have either had the illness and therefore built up a degree of immunity or will have been vaccinated. Um, Now, in those circumstances, it is reasonable to assume that COVID-19 then becomes the equivalent of flu, um, which is a nasty illness, but one that only causes acute disease in limited numbers of people. And therefore we can get back to something that feels like normal. Now, if I'm, um, you know, being uh, brutally honest, I don't think Unfortunately, we yet know when it will be safe, given the risk of mutations, to get back to a world in which there's zero social distancing. And I I do think that it is um, sensible to plan on the basis that for, you know, many months and possibly longer than that, there will have to be some distancing, some social distancing uh, in restaurants, in pubs, in shops, essentially anywhere where people gather together uh, indoors. So, you know, when it comes to, for example, the retail sector um, and the entertainment sector, I do think you have to assume that the, the density of people will not be what it was for some considerable time, partly because of the potential for continued regulation, But also, I think the other thing we have to bear in mind is individual people are going to be cautious for some time. I mean, I've been sort of thinking about it in my own case, and it's very odd the things that one feels slightly nervous about. Um, I mean, in my case, 
Um, I, I, weirdly, uh, I've, got, I've got no uh, problem about going back to hugging people. Um, for some reason or other, this is a purely neurotic, th neurotic thing, I'm not desperately keen to start shaking people's hands again. I don't know why that is, but all it tells you is that the consequences of this awful illness are a little bit unpredictable. Um, and I, I do, you know, as I say, the fundamental point is, I, I, I'm afraid to say, don't expect absolute normality for, for some time. Now, when it comes to the energy sector, uh, what I would say is um, that the impact of COVID-19 on the energy sector is that it, it has heightened in the minds certainly of the people who run countries, um, but I actually think in the, the case of all of us, although not everybody, not every citizen would express it in these terms, it has heightened the uh, awareness of what, we of what we call long tail risks. Um, and, um, you know, for too long, people have regarded the worst impact of climate change absolute devastation as being um, the kind of risk that would never materialize. And we had all the time in the world to um, reduce carbon emissions uh, 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 you know, rather than setting ourselves real meaningful targets. We're in a world, uh, however, where we now recognize that cataclysmic events do happen and that you are just foolish. I mean, this is, I mean, let's be absolutely clear within, you know, most of our working lives, the, you know, uh, the, the coronavirus is the second really devastating long tail risk to have materialized. The first one obviously being the banking crisis uh, of 2008. And we can no longer therefore um, uh, take our time. I think most sensible people would say over reducing carbon emissions. We've got the COP26 uh, conference taking place in Glasgow this year. That will be a focus for government initiatives to compel reductions in carbon emissions. Um, but actually you can see the market in a sense voting with its feet already. We've seen, uh, you know, in, in a way, the most totemic of all motor manufacturers, General Motors announced that there will be no carbon fueled vehicles produced by it by 2035, um, you know, Tesla is, you know, if, I mean, it sort of varies day by day, but if it's not the most valuable company on the planet, it's the second, or, or you know, the, the, the most valuable American company, it, it, it's the second most valuable company on any given day that you, 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 you look at the uh, swings in share prices. So, you know, we are seeing uh, a, 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 a tremendous shift towards non carbon ways of powering our lives. This is incredibly challenging for particularly the, the, the you know, the oil majors and the gas majors. Um, and they face, I mean, you know, they are plainly all over the shop when it, currently when it comes to deciding what their strategies will be. But they broadly have a choice. They can either become essentially declining, shrinking assets managed for cash. Uh, some would say that appears to be the route that Exxon is, is taking it, you know, or you can do 
what BP says it's trying to do, which is to take its cash flows from carbon and divert them into um, you know, carbon neutral sources of energy. Um, you know, those, those are the two alternatives. Um, uh, there doesn't appear to be a consensus among energy companies about which is the right way forward. And, you know, and actually, if you look at the, you know, if you look at investors, um, they, they themselves seem rather divided on what, which is the, which is the best course of, uh, course of action. Because as ever with investors, you've got a sort of, you know, uh, 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 what you might call a sort of, um, conflict between wanting maximum dividends now maximizing cash flow now versus reducing dividends now for you know and investing in the future this is this is all tricky stuff and and, and then and then related to all of that um you've got this issue of the threat of you know stranded assets stranded uh energy assets for the banking sector um and you know we've got former governor of the bank of england uh, Mark Carney on a sort of global mission to persuade both uh, banks um, as autonomous institutions, but also regulators to make sure that when it comes to the pricing of risk by banks, they are taking into account the potential damage uh, to them of credit that is going uh, that, that, has, that has been provided effectively to the um, old world of carbon-based industries um, and you know there is plainly tension among the regulators if you look at Janet Yellen what Janet Yellen has had to say recently she's the new US Treasury Secretary she's rather implied that she thinks this is something that the uh, market has to price in for itself it's not something that regulators need to a force on institutions via increased capital ratios uh, 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 and increased race, sorry, risk weightings for you know credit that's linked to the energy sector. But you know uh, the bottom line of all of this is that you know banks, financial providers, as much as anybody, have to take the climate has to take the climate risk uh, into account, and it's, and it's obviously going to be absolutely front and center um, uh, 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 and then finally when it comes to retail uh, you know the, 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 I mean the other issue uh, and I'm not going to labor it for long because it's so obvious is you know we have seen over the past you know seven eight months an extraordinary um, shift to online retail I mean really quite jaw-droppingly uh, fast that shift and you know, none of us believe that our high streets will ever return to anything like they used to be. Whatever happens uh, to the virus, and everybody has to have a hybrid model. And it seemed to me the most obvious sort of manifestation of that recently was when we saw, you know, the bids that have come in for Arcadia's assets or for Debenhams assets have been for the brand names and, and, and an online presence. And there has been very little interest in the actual physical properties so you know all of this is you know it's a challenge to retailers actually it's a challenge to you know local authorities and to governments because you know we're gonna to have to think very hard about how we re 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 redesign our town centers but that's that may be a conversation for another day we're seeing so much flux right now across all industries and sectors but also a shift of business operations due to the pandemic so 
For example, one of our customers, Breaks, which is a leading wholesale food service supplier in the UK. Now, they typically provide food to the catering industry, so larger organisations, but they've had to completely shift their operations to provide food parcels direct to the consumer, particularly those who've been self-isolating. So that's quite a big challenge moving from larger businesses down to the consumer. And that's just one example of a business that's had to change its strategy. So what other industries do you think will undergo the biggest change over the next 12 to 18 months? So if we look over the next year, um, you know, we, we will need a bit of stability uh, before businesses can, in a sense, assess what their destination is likely to be over the next two or three years. And unfortunately, there are still a few too many uncertainties around when it comes to COVID. I mean, there are other things we can see. We can see the impact of um, leaving the EU and the new frictions that there are uh, for exporters and indeed for importers. Um, and, you know, as this year progresses, we will have a clearer view of, um, you know, emission reductions targets. Um, as a result of, you know, as we, as we get on that journey to the COP26 uh, summit. Um, but um, at some uh, point, as I say, we will have a clearer view of where we are with the virus. And at that point, you know, retail in particular is going to have to take a deep breath and think very hard about what kind of high street presence they will need. Um, finance is going to have to have a, 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 a you know is going to have to reflect a lot about um where its people are going to be based i mean one of the things that is very striking is the extent to which in all the developed countries um but it's particularly true of the uk um there have been certain industries where home working has not damaged productivity. Uh, and, the, and, the, and the two most obvious areas, and these are very, very important industries in the UK, are finance and business services. Now, um, you know, McKinsey have um, made an assessment that because of uh, the UK's, um, uh, because business services finance so big within the UK, which is anyway, compared to most developed economies, very reliant on services. Um, it thinks that something like a third of all working hours could continue to be done from home and there'd be no loss of productivity, which um, actually poses a huge challenge for all sorts of businesses, but particularly financial services companies. At the moment, they're paying vast amounts of money for very lavish office buildings in the city in Canary Wharf and elsewhere. Um, I think a lot of those buildings are going to be repurposed. I think, you know, broadly, partly because actually I think there are some people, not everybody, but there are some people who actually rather like the flexibility of working at home, certainly a few days a week. Um, uh, and, and, and partly because if you can actually reduce your fix, the fixed costs of renting offices, you know, actually longer term, you might actually enhance productivity. So, you know, those sorts of issues, homeworking issues, are going to be absolutely, um, you know, enormous strategic questions uh, for those businesses. And, you know, I've already talked about the challenge that energy companies face. 
um, and indeed motor manufacturers and airlines. <laughs> and I mean, you know, I mean, you've got to feel particularly anxious about anybody who's in the aerospace industry at the moment, because, you know, you've got the twin challenge of people increasingly uh, nervous because of COVID, of travel and being confined in a space. Um, and, you know, you've got the climate challenge. Uh, you know, so, you know, when you put both of those together, you know, it's, you know, working out what the sustainable level of travel uh, will be is crucial but hard. I mean, for what it's worth, I'm assuming there will be massive consolidation within the airline industry. Um, there'll probably be massive consolidation within the industries that supply the airline and travel uh, industries. Um, same will be true in retail. Uh, uh, you know, and, and, and almost everywhere you look in, the, in, in these kinds of, uh, you know, uh, circumstances, you know, one assumes that there will be consolidation. The, 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 the other part of all of this, which we haven't discussed, is of course there is, particularly with the election of a new president in the United States, Joe Biden, um, there is incredible anxiousness in America about, but actually I say America, worldwide, EU, UK as well, about the huge power of the digital platform businesses, um, Google, Facebook, uh, uh, Microsoft, and the rest. Um, and there is an enormous, you know, movement building. It used to be focused around, they've got to pay their fair share of taxes, but there is now a movement building very much like the anti-cartel movement uh, in America at the end of the 19th century, in the early 20th century. There was a huge movement building up um, uh, in both in America and uh, the EU, which may force the breakup of these huge businesses. Um, so on the one hand, you've got huge trends to consolidation in what you might call traditional areas of business and big political, and they would be commercial pressures. And then you've got the obverse as a result of politics, huge pressures to break up some of these huge, uh, you know, really, uh, you know, I'd say world bossing digital businesses. Shifting gears a little bit to, to us at SAP. Now, we're the largest company on the German stock exchange. We've got nearly 5,000 employees across the UK and Ireland, but we want to have more of a relevant domestic agenda. So what recommendations would you have for a company like SAP? I do think every company, but particularly big companies, um, have a huge obligation um, to prove um, that they are part of their communities, that they are part of society. I do believe that the biggest challenge we all face um, as uh, citizens, uh, if we run businesses as, as, as business managers and owners um, in government, uh, is to recognize the fracturing of our societies and the 
growing resentment is is not too strong a way of putting it um, over inequalities inequalities that have come to the fore during covid um, you know the the, the the data on who has been hurt most by uh, COVID-19 is something that should concern us all, perhaps even shame us all. Um, you know, poorer, more poorer people have died and become acutely ill. Uh, more members of the Asian, uh, Black, BAME in general communities have suffered through this crisis. Um, but of course, the inequalities that we're seeing in a country like the UK go wider and deeper than that. Um, there are tremendous wealth and income inequalities between the north of the country and the south of the country. Um, the enormous um, costs that this crisis has put on young people, school age people, students, um, is something that should really concern us. I mean, you know, we had the Prime Minister the other day committing that over the course of this Parliament, four years, he would try and correct the educational losses that our young people have suffered. Now, four years just gives you a sense of the magnitude of, you know, what this has cost our young people. So what I would say is for a company as important as SAP and you know you are um, you know a, a company that through many of your services is absolutely integrated in so many of our vital businesses it seems to me that the, that the priority for a business like yours is to make sure that your um, business represents as far as you can the kind of you know societies you're in and you are doing what you can Obviously, no one company can solve the extraordinary structural problems that I'm talking about. But all of us have an, you know, have an opportunity to recruit on, um, you know, a totally equal opportunities basis um, at a time when education is failing. You know, the kind of opportunities that, a, that an SAP can offer for young people are tremendous. And so, you know, I have obviously no idea what you're doing in terms of recruiting young people. But the more that you can reach out, particularly to disadvantaged communities and provide, you know, high quality, you know, you know technical managerial training, um, the more that, in my view, a company like yours will prosper. Because, you know, it, it, the more that one can show that one is... Um, you know, making a positive contribution, you know, you know, th th there are businesses that simply feel, you know, we've got amazing services, we're going to land from Mars, we're simply going to flog them. And then when the going gets tough, we're going to disappear again. I actually think that, you know, the days where you can simply say we're only in it for the money, but we're not actually going to try to uh, reach out. Uh, and, 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 and try and address some of the inequalities that are threatening to really destroy the way of life of all of us. I think those days are past and therefore everything you do with recruitment and training and then how you communicate internally should be, you know, encouraging diversity, 
you know, and encouraging equal opportunity. Of course, you know, these are um, principles that are easy to express. Actually, within our legal, you know, legal equalities framework, putting them into practice is, is challenging, but it's incredibly important. Um, and so, that, so, 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 you know, uh, it, it, it's, it's a frame of mind which says, and I think, you know, most German companies, and I'm sure it's true of yours, have always taken a long-term view. It's one of the, you know, it's one of the, it's one of the reasons why, you know, in, in many areas, you know, Germany within Europe, uh has uh been so industrially successful but and 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 you know actually german companies have also um had much more of a social compact uh as part of their dna what i would say is much of that is now a priority for the uk and therefore um you know uh, you know so, so uh, many of the changes that I think you know, all British companies need to make. I would say go with the grain. I would assume of you know who you think you are. Just to touch on that a bit further, like what are the businesses that you think have really stepped up and made a positive impact during this pandemic, and and the reasons behind that? Um, so, um, I mean, it's probably uh, Invidious actually in a way because I do think that lots and lots of businesses have um, really engaged in trying to make uh, a contribution whether it's you know you talked about um, you know delivering food to people who need it uh, you know if, if I look for example at the vaccine manufacturers one of the things that uh, for example, AstraZeneca has done is that although it's currently caught up in some in a horrendous UK EU row, nonetheless it is supplying uh, the vaccine at cost. It's 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 not you know it's not making a profit uh, on any of its sales anywhere in the world of the vaccine. I think that's the right thing. I think that's absolutely the right thing uh, to do. Um, I mean, if I if I just look across uh, the piece, you know, one of the things that um, I would also say uh, is I have been impressed with how many businesses have done the socially responsible thing, even when they couldn't trade. And you know, lots of them are in receipt, obviously, of significant you know government support, but they are still, even with that government support, operating at a loss. They have not made redundant significant numbers of people. Now, you know, I am worried um, that uh, in, you know, as, as we get back to um, something that feels um, a bit more stable, and uh, companies assess their their realistic long-term prospects, we will see more redundancies. But, you know, it's been a reassurance to me that very few significant businesses have jumped the gun. Uh, and, uh, you know, there was a fear right at the outset. I was really worried that given that we are living in a climate where digital technologies, robotics, AI... Uh, do provide the opportunity to sack vast numbers of people 
uh, and replace them essentially with some version of automation. I have been, and I was really worried right at the outset of this crisis, that lots of businesses would use the crisis as in a sense an excuse just to sack people, um, uh, uh, you know, and, and blame and blame COVID-19 Ra, you know, as, 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 as a way of disguising that this was something they wanted to do all along. I think one of the things that's actually rather encouraged me is that most companies have taken a slightly more thoughtful approach and haven't done that. Now, it doesn't mean to say that, you know, what most people call the fourth industrial revolution, although I'm never quite clear whether we're on to the fifth industrial revolution, but anyway, um, you know, isn't going to have uh, a major impact on the structure of work. And we've talked a bit about that and, and, and may not lead to, you know, some serious structural unemployment problems. But, you know, the important point, it seems to me, is although people are getting deeply fed up with the lockdowns, nonetheless, I do think most business leaders, most, are behaving in a responsible fashion um, and helping where they can, not sacking people, um, uh, you know, unless it's a matter literally of corporate life and death. Um, so as I said, I don't, I don't really want to get into the business of saying, you know, they've been this 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 company's been great and this one's not been so great. Because in general, I mean, I hope that actually over time, because we we you know, unfortunately, since the banking crisis, the reputation of the private sector has taken a massive knock. I slightly hope that um, the slightly more uh, responsible approach that's been taken will feed through to a to a marginally higher view of or improve view of businesses i mean i have to say for what it's worth just briefly and we'll finish on this aspect of it i mean obviously happy to talk about anything else you want to talk about is um there was also a bit of a warning to businesses that don't behave uh responsibly i mean i don't, I don't you know i don't want to get into the you know the the you know detail of whether compass group really did behave appallingly when it came to the whole delivery of, you know, creation and delivery of um, uh, packages for uh, kids on free school meals uh, for home delivery. But, you know, the way that that company were, you know, received just barrages of terrible publicity uh, over what was perceived to be an utterly inadequate service that it was providing to poorer households just shows you that, you know, if you're remotely thinking of cutting corners when it comes to providing services to people, um, you know, my advice is just don't because, you know, the reputational price will never be worth it. Looking at sustainability. Now, we spoke earlier about COP26, the climate change conference, which is due to take place in some form in the UK later this year in Glasgow. What opportunities do you think that this provides to businesses in the UK? I, I just take the view very straightforwardly that um, we are heading for uh, a world where it will be completely unacceptable not to be contributing to a programme of reducing carbon emissions. And if you are not seen to be helping, um, I think over time, you know, you know, your customers will vote with their feet, uh, and you know, you, you, you know, essentially, you will be uh, shamed, especially on social media, which uh, um, you know is increasingly important in terms of 
company's reputation. So, I mean, all I would say is, um, you know, it seems to me that the premium in both reputationally and frankly, in terms of the way that markets value you is not to hang back, you know, whether it is providing services that, that help other companies um, manage their, 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 their emissions or just doing absolutely everything you can to cut yours. Um, you know, I, I, it seems to me that the benefits massively uh, outweigh the short-term costs. So to wrap up, we've heard about the many challenges facing businesses and opportunities, but are there reasons to be optimistic for UK business in 2021? Like what are the green shoots that we should all be focusing on right now? Oh, this, I mean, there's tremendous grounds for optimism. I mean, you know, all, all, all I've been talking about are really structural shifts that, um, you know, so long as you're, as long as you're across them and you prepare for them, um, you're going to thrive. Okay. But, you know, let's be absolutely clear. Um, unless an apps, which I don't expect, you know, there is, there, look, there is one long tail risk that, that could emerge, um, which is that some mutation develops and spreads rapidly that the existing uh, vaccines don't deal with. I'm not expecting that. Uh, that is that is that is you know the 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 one long tail risk. But so long as that doesn't materialise gradually over the course of this year, things will get back to normal. Um, it's very important to recognise that the balance sheets of most people, most people, have not deteriorated. In fact, I mean, there's a sort of astonishing uh, bit of research by the Bank of England that shows that across the household sector, because frankly, there was nothing to spend money on, um, net, um, there is, there's been an increase of 150 billion pounds in saving. Uh, uh, so, as and when people can spend again, they will. And that will feed through to business confidence. And eventually that will feed through to business investment and we'll get back into some kind of virtuous circle. So absent, as I say, another dramatic COVID shock, which, I'm, which is not my central prediction, the economy will bounce back really quite fast today. Now, I've got one word of reservation and caution here. Unfortunately, and this feeds into a, the point I was making earlier about the, the imperative for, we, for all of us to be doing what we can to um, help the most disadvantaged and to do what we can when it comes to the equality agenda is unfortunately the uh, balance sheets of the poorest 25% in this country um, have got worse. Uh, you know, if you're a the bottom end of the income spectrum with lowest skills, you are more in debt than you were. And that does cause me uh, deep concerns. One, because we're a fractured society anyway. And the widening of the gap between rich and poor is, you know, uh, when we've had decades, actually, of widening inequalities, that is bad for our sense of who we are. It is, it, is, it is bad for, you know, the cohesion of society. Um, that's, that's, all, that, that's, you know, the sort of, on, on, you know, the, the, the issue for all of us. But it's, it's, it's also just, you know, we, appall you know, this, this, you know, this represents, you know, 
you know, frankly appalling conditions for vulnerable people. And as you know, I hope that, you know, and I'm assuming the government will address this issue, um, but it's a, it's a huge issue. One of the reasons I slightly assume they will address this issue is if you look at recessions across the world, um, recessions are normally either caused or deepened because of uh, problems that afflict the poorest. What, the reason for that is because poor people have no option but to spend the money they have. They don't have uh, room. You know, on a low income, you don't have enough money to save. All you can do is spend what you've got on food and clothes for you and your children. And uh, it will be extremely bad for the UK's recovery if we don't find, if the government doesn't find a way to top up the incomes of those people as, and, and help them to rebuild their balance sheets. There's a big looming issue for the government to do with the benefit system, universal credit about how that helps those people. And, you know, I'm slightly assuming the government will take the necessary action to help them because actually it's both right, the right thing to do for those poor people. It's also the right thing to do for the country. Um, but putting that one issue of inequality to one side, which I do think is central, um, you know, there are all sorts of reasons to assume that actually, you know, when we get to the middle and end of this year, things will feel hugely better for all of us. I mean, and by then with any luck, we will, I mean, there are permanent increased costs of trade with the EU as a result of Brexit and the admin that that involves. But by then, they will have essentially been sunk costs. We will have, um, you know, businesses will have come to terms with the new paperwork. They'll have systems in place to deal with it. And although the cost of trade will have gone up a bit, um, you know, we will be trading on that higher cost basis and it will feel normal rather than a pain in the backside. Um, so, as I say, there are all sorts of, you know, we've talked about the long-term challenges, climate change, managing a world of, you know, uh, where that we may permanently have to do a bit more social distancing. Um, uh, uh, and actually, you know, we might end up in a sort of world of identity cards, which, uh, would also impose sort of an obligation on businesses to take on, you know, checks in terms of who's, you know, eating with them or shopping with them. All of this may become permanent if, 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 if in, a, in a COVID world, we're constantly thinking ourselves, well, we've got to do, get into testing and tracing people with the virus forever, as it were. But, you know, within these structural changes, things will feel way better. Uh, and I don't know about you, but... I simply, it's the little things I miss, you know, I can't wait to go back to the cinema, if I'm honest, it's, it's, it's things like that. And I think you can't imagine how cheerful, you know, we're all gonna feel just to have, uh, you know, a, a world that feels, um, you know, a bit more like it did before COVID. So yeah, no, look, I'm, 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 I'm you know, we have amazing businesses in this country, uh, adaptable business, adaptable people. Um, so, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm a, you know, I'm fundamentally a great, a great, uh, optimist and final thing, final thing as a cause of optimism. Okay. I suspect many people, uh, watching this, uh, cause, cause of the sort of demographics of who voted for Brexit probably didn't vote for Brexit. Right. Uh, 
And there are a lot of people very, very worried about the implications of all of that. And there are reasons to be both economically and politically concerned. But um, on something that really matters, there is no doubt that not being in the European Union allowed the UK to acquire huge stocks of the vaccine uh, and to start vaccinating before the EU. Now, this is not something to crow over at all. Um, and I hope to goodness it doesn't actually introduce significant tension between us and the EU because it's really important that we have a partnership. But it does show that there are opportunities as a country outside of the EU uh, to manage really quite big issues in a more fleet of foot way. And so, you know, I, I do think, you know, just, you know, if just look at that and you think about the other opportunities that being, you know, we, we, we're not a big economy compared to a China or compared to the whole of the EU, but we're a rich country. We've got amazing talent. Um, and it's really important now, that now that we've got this, you know, so-called freedom, that we use it in a way that actually brings all of us back together again. And we resist these awful social media fueled uh, uh, forces that fracture us. So there we are, reasons to be cheerful. And they do say that crisis forces innovation. So it's all about how you find those opportunities and embrace them really. So um, that's brilliant. Look, Robert, thank you so much. I could chat to you all day. It's been a fascinating chat. Really appreciate you taking the time to share your insights with us and uh, hopefully catch up with you soon. No, I've loved it. Thanks a lot. You know, come back anytime. Thank you all for downloading this latest episode. You can find more information about today's guest and our previous episodes in the show notes. Until next time, thanks for listening.